to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter um, 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to look down at verse 17 as we begin this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. <clears throat> now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Transform, trans change, glory to glory, as we focus on him, the Lord. Now, turn over a page, or it might be on your same page in your Bible, chapter 4 and verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise up with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The hope of heaven, the hope of glory, the hope of eternal life. Yesterday, uh, May 20th, uh, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, Bill Merchant, a great elder who loved you, who loved this congregation for almost 50 years, a few years more or less than 50, a Holy Spirit gifted teacher who loved God's word and taught his word to, I would say, thousands of people over this, those years, a very loving husband, father, and grandfather, and to me and Judy, a very dear and faithful friend, a man who, uh, from his youth, sang praises to God, missions, uh, quartets, went to Furnace Street Mission years ago as a teenager in a quartet, singing to the alcoholics who would come into the Furnace Street Mission and later on to Haven Arrest and other places, churches, anywhere they could, sang. All I envisioned as we saw him enter glory yesterday was that God has a place in his choir for Bill. And many of us over the years have seen Bill here and more than that upstairs and here, and he would just always direct traffic, you know, always move his hands because music was and worship was a very important part of his life. He went on to be with Jesus, and June and family were there, and Judy and I were privileged to be there. I can't give you details yet, but so this is for us here at this house, but um, this afternoon or maybe in this morning, they're meeting with the funeral home, and please uh, take note in the, um, in the paper or on the web finding when that time will be. It will either be a calling hours tomorrow night 
with a funeral here on Tuesday morning, a calling hours on Tuesday night, or maybe the funeral on Wednesday. Depends how schedules work. So please pay attention to that. Uh, the calling hours will be at the funeral home. I think it's Newcomer uh, up in off of 91, and then uh, the funeral will be here uh, for that time. Over the 50 years that I've known Bill, um, I sat under his teaching. Uh, I had four years, Judy and I both had four years of Bible college where we studied the Word of God. I didn't go to a Bible college that taught you about philosophy or church history or some, there was a little bit of that, but 99% of it was learning about the Word of God, studying the book, studying how uh, all the different things about the Word of God. Bill was here uh, as an elder before Judy and I took over as pastor and wife, and um, I made it my point, my life, to when Bill was teaching, I was on the front row or thereabouts taking notes. Bill was a spirit-led, uh, gifted by, you know, God said they're gifts of teachers. Bill was a gifted teacher. I have files and files and files of Bill's teaching that he taught here because he unpacked the Word of God. He unpacked it, opened it up for all of us. In fact, I thought I was getting ready for today. I thought I can only have like five points, six subpoints, and 14 subverses, and then teach like Bill does. But I'm not the teacher Bill was. But I learned so much from his love for the Word of God. He never loved that and never lost that love for God's Word, understood that, that the Word of God is life. It's life to us, and we as a congregation have been privileged to have that type of stability and that type of honing in on loving this book more than any other. And Bill showed us the way to that. He was a man of great character and, and uh, integrity. I'm very grateful for his gift to me, but also to us as a people. And then when they opened the Christian bookstore over on Canton Road, well, actually, it started over Masson Road, then it went to Lakemore Plaza, and then it was up the other way. But anyway, the last place was Cornerstone there across from Lakemore Plaza. And I would often walk in, I'd say, uh, uh, Bill, what's new? What's good? I said, well, we have these six books just came in. Don't bother with that one, that one. This one's got some good stuff in it. So I'd trust Bill to get me a book that I needed or uh, um, some sort of a, uh, insight into what's going on. He's, I'm very grateful for that. And June just extends her love to all of you. She said that over and over again. In the midst of all of Bill's uh, final days, she would always ask, how's Matt? How's this one? How are people? Praying for you. Uh, we're going to miss their prayers. We're going to miss their time. But, but uh, on that day, we sang that verse, on that day, uh, we're going to be with glory with Jesus. He's, he's with the Lord. So uh, I, we praise God for that there at the funeral. I probably won't say what I'm saying to us because this is for us. He is ours. He was one of us. He was an elder all those years and uh, stood strong in the word. I'm very thankful for him. But I'm sure he didn't, wanna, he didn't wait another minute. He said, I want to I go see Jesus. A lot of people say they want to go see mom and dad and grandma and all the family. That's okay. We, gotta, we, gotta, we gotta have eternity to find them out, find where they are. But when we get to glory, we're going to see Jesus. He's the one who saved us and loved us. He's the one we're going to see. 
and different times, Bill, in the last day, he would react to something, and his hands would go up, and he said, I wonder what he's seeing. Is he seeing Jesus? And uh, I, I imagine he was, because Jesus was his love, love to sing, love to sing about Jesus. So keep them in your prayers, and uh, us too, and all of us. So today, I want to continue on with this very, very, very important part of hearing God and learning to align our ears and our heart to follow God. One of the daughters said this, uh, is around the bed yesterday, he said, you know, Dad, he lived it in front of us. He lived this out. She said, I never heard my dad use a cuss word. I never saw, saw my dad smoke a cigarette or drink a beer. But nothing came out of his mouth that would be cursing. He lived what he taught, the word of God. In fact, we have his bills bits out there, and I was telling someone already this morning, I'm, if we can get around to it, I would like to make copies for anyone who comes to the calling hours that they would have that last thing. I saw him, we saw him on Tuesday. Uh, still, he was able to talk with us and so forth. And I said, Bill, I'm waiting for number 10. We've got nine out there. We, we, we need 10. He said, it's on my desk. <laughs> so it's probably there, but that's fine. We have nine of his recent teachings in paper form. So, But for us, it's hard for us to make a lifetime of listening to God. Because if you try to just fit it in somewhere, it won't be fit in. You'll always find something. I remember Conrad Hooley said this in one of his uh, daily devotions, one of the days. He said, life is just a collection of days. It's just a collection of one day after another. But whatever dominates your day will end up dominating your life. It isn't a matter of, uh, you know, I'll do it now and then that'll tide me over for another week. I'll do a little bit, that'll tide. No, it's whatever dominates your day will dominate your life. And Bill's a man of the word. And the word of God was valuable and important to him. And to all of us, I pray, that listening to God, reading his word, saying, Holy Spirit, teach me, and he will. That's the promise. But we have all these issues. We live in a very busy time. We're far too easily distracted. We've talked about that. We're always in such a hurry. We've got to get someplace. There's always another uh, uh, schedule to keep or a, a meeting to attend or taking the kids to another sporting event or getting that grass mowed that's persistent. I don't know. I hope no one is as, not as smart as I'm not smart, but why do I always fertilize the grass in the beginning of the year? You all know what I'm talking about if you've done that. And then it grows. And then I complain. It's growing so fast. Dummy, you just put all this gross stuff on it. So we get in a hurry. We say, slow down, grass. I can't wait till August. Well, I really can. But anyway, it's, it, we get in a hurry. I don't care what age you are. Everything's got to be in a hurry. So when it comes time to, to listen to the Father, listen to the heart of God, it, it, we don't have time. I've got to hurry up to get to bed, to go to sleep, to get up in the morning, to, to get back on the treadmill of life and just keep cranking it out. We've got to stop that process. If we, I, I call it aligning myself to God's speed. 
his speed in my life, not mine, not the world's, not the family's, but God, how would you have me walk, 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 not run and scramble? Last week we talked about not being able to listen. We've never been taught how to listen to most of one another, but let alone how to listen to God. And I would just submit to you again, that's the reading of the word of God and opening your heart, say, Lord, out of your words, speak to me. We were talking about it yesterday a little bit, that um, you, someone said, if I read the Bible and I can't get anything out of it, we'll read some more. Well, I still can't. Read some more. Read until you get something out of it. Read until you hear the Holy Spirit saying, that's for you today. This is for you. We have to learn how to listen. And the final one we looked at last week is we often don't respond to what God says. And it's hard to listen when you're not paying attention. The Bible uses the word for stiff-necked people. It's kasha oref, oref. Your head is on backwards is the scripture. God said, I, I know you're a stiff-necked people. Why is that? You're not listening. You're not doing. But there are two others that maybe matter even more than all the others I've spoken about is that too many of us, far too many of us, have a very distorted view of God. We shape God the way we may have been taught as a child. Maybe God was nowhere in your household as a child growing up. So you come, you get older, and then you're introduced to, to the, the Savior. You give your life to Christ, and, and maybe you don't have everything figured out yet. You have a distortion of who God really is. I wish we were all brilliant and we wish we were all pure in our thinking, but there's often times that we think of God in ways that are not true. One of, the, one of the big ones that seems to have come over the last 25, 30 years, it's been everywhere, is, this, is the Santa Claus mentality of God, that he's just a big, big guy upstairs, the, the world says, with a big white beard, and he just wants to give you gifts all the time. And when he doesn't, you get mad. So that's a distorted view of God. Or they begin to look at God as some mean, dictatorial, harsh, uh, can't-be-bothered-by-the-world kind of God that's there. You need, to, you need to do something just to try to make him happy because he's out to get you. I heard, a, uh, heard some very disrespectful, very blasphemous term. It says, Jesus is coming back, and boy, is he mad. That's a terrible phrase. It's a terrible thing to imagine that your God is coming just to do that. He will bring judgment upon the earth, but it will be a righteous judgment, and the whole world will know that he is God and that he's a loving God and a righteous God and a just God. But people, we, we have this distorted view of God, so even when it comes time to read the Bible or do something, we haven't grabbed hold of it in a way that we say God is Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is he. Great and mighty. Turn to Psalm 23 very quickly. I can imagine that if we would all put our heads together, we could all quote it. Psalm 23. It is that psalm that is so referred to. Um, I find it over my years. It's been particularly brought up in um, funeral services. It's on the cards. It's everywhere. But I'm not sure that we all grab hold of it. 
Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I shall not want. If you just would, would live in that world for a moment, that the Lord is your shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He's a loving shepherd. He cares for his sheep. So that when I come to God to listen to him, I have to understand that he's a shepherd who cares for me. He knows who I am. He cares for me. That will change your whole outlook when you go to him. Lord, when I open up your word this morning, I believe that as a good shepherd, you're going to lead me something that's good for me. And it might be a blessing. It might be just some new revelation, some new insight. It might even be some correction. Because it's good for me. I think it's Hebrews 12 that talks about uh, the fact that, that as a father disciplines his children, so God disciplines his children, us. And if you're, a, if you're a good mom and dad, if you're a good parent, you understand that the discipline is not because you hate your kids. I hope that's true. <laughs> don't, don't be hating your kids. It's because you care for them. And by this giving direction over your child, it is for their best. So it could go into the whole father issue. Let's continue on with 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He restores my soul. All those things are the care of a shepherd toward sheep. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley, I fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I can honestly tell you just by, by just what we've walked through the several days that Bill was on his last hours of journey to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness. The goodness of God. June was such a blessing to Judy and me because at the time when Bill was gone, she just thanked Jesus. She broken heart, married 66 years, loved that man. A cry came out of her heart, but it was to Jesus. Jesus, you've been so good to Bill and me. You've been good. Bill's on. We win. And I had to say, am I ready? Are you ready to live that way? So that at the end of life, we're all going to say, God has been good to me because he has been a wondrous God we have. Our problem is we have a distorted view of God. We think, well, he just left. He's so whatever. We, we have to come back to that. Go to John 10. It's the same theme Jesus brings up about the aspect of being a shepherd. He talks about himself. John 10, verse 3. Of ten three. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. By name. Look down at verse 11. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life 
for the sheep. Look down at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice. And there will be one uh, flock and one shepherd. Verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, authority to take it up. This command I received from my Father. Go down the, towards the end of the chapter, verse 27. Verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. So no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. A shepherd who cares and loves for you, loves you, has love for you. He only wants your good. It's a relationship. But we must know him. We must, we must know him. Let me give you some more verses. I want you to turn back to your older uh, covenant, the Old Testament in Jeremiah. We're going to look at Jeremiah, and then we're going to look at the book of Daniel. But Jeremiah verse 9, or chapter 9, I'm sorry. Jeremiah chapter 9. In verse 24. Let's go back to 23, 923. For this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom... Or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. These I delight in. If you're going to boast about something, boast that you know the Lord. Go to uh, Daniel, just a few more pages back toward the uh, back of your Bible. Daniel, Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. Speaking, again, Daniel speaking about these things that are going to come, but he said with flatter, he'll corrupt those who have, been, who have violated the covenant. But, he said, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him and will be able to do exploits and stand true. I'm talking about a knowing relationship. Not to know about God, not to know his reputation or hearsay, somebody told you, but intimately because in the Bible, the words to know someone are often used in the context of closeness in marriage. It's a word of intimacy. It's a word that is closer than, hey, I know about them or I know this, but there's something. And if I want to even get deeper than that, it is a closed form of communication. To know someone in the depth of what the Bible talks about, it is something that the two of you know that other people don't know. It's something closer than that. 
you know in ways that others can't. And if you've been married uh, for any length of time and you've worked at your marriage and you keep working at your marriage, there will come a day that you can tell what the other person is thinking. It might scare you. It might be nervous for you, but you'll know it. You'll know how the person is thinking, which I'm still working out. I'm not sure how all that works, but... And you can even oftentimes predict what they're going to do. And that's where it's always fun to say, you always do it that way. See, you know, so you got to back that off. But in a relationship with God, in a relationship with our Heavenly Father, by the way, He already knows you. He knows you. You can't hide from Him. He knows you. Uh, I have taught a number of years different places and classrooms and stuff. I always find it interesting in a class. Now, nobody's doing that this morning, or I, I wouldn't use this example. If it was a group of teenagers in the back row, I would use this example, but they don't. They, <laughs> Lord, we don't have our old teenagers here yet. They're coming. But that student thinks that no one sees them thinks that they can place something behind the person in front of them and that the teacher can't see it. All those of you who have taught, you have eyes that can see through things and see exactly what's going on. I've seen people in church take that little baby and just begin to pass that baby down and everybody's giggling about the little baby. Or candy goes up and down the aisles and papers are left and our people uh, who clean this church know that and I identify your name. And they'll be at your house and dump it on your yard. <laughs> you know, the worst one, people, and I don't know if this is going, don't clip your nails in church, please. Oh, you all look like that's strange, right? It happens. And if that's you, God will bless you somehow. I don't know how. But you see, the teacher sees. They see what's going on. It's, it's, uh, it's the little ones who are saying, let's play hide and seek. Hide and seek and say, okay, I'll count. One, two, three, four, five, six. You look, and there's a leg sticking out from behind the, the couch. I'm hiding. You can't see me. Well, no, there, okay. Yeah, where are you? Where are you? There's a leg. You can find it. You know, we play around with God like, like he can't see us. And so you have a distorted view of a heavenly father who not only cares for you, but he sees you and he knows you by name. And so when it comes to hearing him, I have to make the assumption that he already knows what I'm going to ask before I ask it. And that he has an answer for me. Go to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43. God knows us. He cares for us. A relationship. Jesus said it over and over again to the people who gather around him. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. You see what I do, I do what the Father does. You hear what I say, I'm telling you what the Father says. That's a great study. Just go through the Gospels and see the things that Jesus says uh, and know that he's saying what his Father is saying. You learn to know by looking at Jesus what the Father is like. But here's another one, Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, Israel. I could, I, we could just stop at creation. 
Psalm 139, when you, before you and your mother's womb, I knew you. I know you. You can go to Jeremiah 1, Isaiah 49. You can say, I knew you when you were in the womb. Please understand, people, that you are a baby in the womb. You are given life in the womb. It is wrong to think that it's just something. It was you. And God knew you. Everyone who was conceived is a child that God knows about. It's the heart of the whole pro-life movement. He said, listen, that's a life. We can't go on murdering them and killing them. God will deal with our nation for that. But I'm telling you that you're here. You were birthed. We could talk about Mother's Day. That was a couple weeks ago. We could talk. Someone gave you birth. But God knew you in your mother's womb. He knows you. So when it comes time to listening to God, I've got to grab hold of that idea and that truth. Say, God, you know my heart. I'm coming to you. Created. Go on, verse 1, Isaiah 43. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt to your, for your ransom, Kusiba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I'll give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And Katie referred to that this morning. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. He says to Israel, I'll bring your children from the east and gather them from the west. I'll say to the north, give them up to the south. Don't hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, made by his, for his glory. What is your vision of God? How do you view him? Do you see this? Do you rest in this? Do you get yourself all wrapped up in that and say, God, I want to hear you. I want to walk in that because you care for me. In the midst of my storm, in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the trial, God is a very present help in time of trouble. I came across an author who is writing about this matter of hearing. And he said, revelation occurs when our God reveals himself to us so that we too can say, along with Paul, I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him in that day. He makes it very bold statements, which I'm making this morning. There's nothing more important in your Christian walk than your personal knowledge and understanding of God. You must, we must know him. We must listen to him. And God desires to reveal himself to us personally. And he will do this as we're able to receive and willing to receive. The greater the knowledge of God, the greater fellowship that we can have. He goes on to say that the degree, degree of fellowship is in direct proportion 
the degree of fellowship is in direct proportion to the amount of personal, uh, personal knowledge one has of the other person. And, of course, to the quality of that relationship as well. And this is what he writes. He said, I was reading one day, Hebrews 3.10, where he talked about Israel. They did not know my ways. They didn't know me. Hebrews 3.10. And this is the words the Holy Spirit stirred up in him. Listen to these. God said, my child, you must get to know my ways. If you only see and experience my works and do not understand my ways, you will act exactly like the children of Israel acted in the wilderness. They wouldn't trust me when they didn't like what I was doing and they complained and rebelled. Let me tell you about my ways, about the way I work and have decided to do business. My ways are determined by my sovereignty and fatherhood. I am God. I'm in charge. I'm responsible and I have responsibilities. My sovereignty means that I have knowledge and wisdom and my fatherhood means that I'm vitally connected with and care for my children. He continues, and God is revealing by the Holy Spirit. He said, I know what's coming up and how it will affect you and your behavior. So in my sovereignty and knowledge, I do things that are best for you. As a knowledgeable father, I see the future and want you to prepare for it, so I plan my ways according to this. My sovereignty and fatherhood mean that not only my knowledge and power, but my goodness. I am sovereign in goodness. My ways are good. Good in the ultimate sense of the word, whether or not you can see it from your viewpoint. Understand, my child, that my ways are determined by my timing and not by your comprehension of time. My ways are sovereignly viewed from sovereign knowledge, power, and goodness. Why would you rebel and refuse when all I have in mind for you is your best? Accept my sovereignty, my lordship. Accept my ways. There's another thing about my ways. It is, that the, it is the way of praise. If you believe in my sovereign knowledge, power, and goodness, really believe this, then you will be, then you will demonstrate it by praise. You praise me. You will praise me. For you know that I'm causing all things to work together for good as you walk in my ways. You'll praise me in all things and at all times if you believe in my sovereignty. You'll praise me. You'll worship me. And as the writer goes on and gives more of his heart, he said, I had to confess and say, Lord, I, I, I don't walk that way often. I don't walk the way to trust you and to praise you in the midst of everything. Open my eyes. Getting to know God, it's our utmost duty to get to know our God, to hear him. Finally, this is the one that probably hits all of us at some level or another. Why don't we align ourselves up to those truths, to the word of God? Why don't we do that? It's a simple word, but it is very um, telling. It's because pride turns God away. God does not. In fact, in James, it says he resists the proud, gives grace to the humble, 
he will go resisting you in your pride. I was talking to my granddaughter the other day, and she was telling me about the book of Ephesians. I really delight in her love for God's word. And she's telling me about this. She said, Grandpa, can you believe that? It's beautiful. I said, yes, it is. Keep reading. There's more in there. So we had this conversation. And I came. I said, Brother Grace, uh, you know about magnets, right? You're going to be in biomedical engineering or whatever, all physics and stuff. He said, you know, if you take a magnet, two magnets, and you hold them both ends, positive ends, they will repel each other. You cannot give them, and I, you, all of us have had that experience, even as children, trying to push those magnets together. He said, they won't go until you turn one of them around and they are attracted to each other. The I image there is one magnet has to be in charge and the other one must submit to the magnet in order to be connected. As long as they're both head to head, they will always repel each other. Until that one decides, I will turn around and be connected in that drawing together. It's the picture of me saying yes to Jesus and quit trying to tell him my way is better than your way. My ideas are better. I'm smart. I'm good looking. Well, I can't say that. That's a lie. I don't want to lie to you. I'm not good looking. But we think that. We think we're the best. We, we're, the, we're the smartest. We're the sharpest pencil in the box. We have all this stuff. We understand. We think we can do it. It came across a, sort of a funny quote. Uh, some of you raised chickens, so this might be something. A chicken, when it lays one egg, will begin to cackle. A salmon who lays 10,000 eggs never says a word. One you cackle, 10,000 you don't sing. Now again, one's underwater and one's above. I understand it. Maybe they do sing. I don't know. But that's us. I've often said, and men, I've got to talk to us a while. You know, men and women are so different. <laughs> no kidding. Anyway, uh, that's the parenthesis. That when my wife works all day at everything, She's cooking the meals, you know, all the different things, all the work she does, all the shopping, all those kind of things. She never comes in and says, look at what I've done until I notice something and then we have a conversation. But anyway, but when we do something, man, we have to bring it up. We're like John Wayne. Hey, I moved this. Honey, come here. What do you think? I just moved that. Why do we do that? <laughs> now, all you women are laughing because you know it's true. We men said, I don't do that. Yes, you do. How do you like the lawn? It doesn't look good. I mowed it. I mowed it 16 weeks before you arrived. I don't know what your problem is. You know? You see, inherent is in us, men and you too, ladies, is the fact that we are filled with our self-importance, that we want the world to, to see it, and, and I've got to understand again that it's going to be my tendency as a, as a sinful person being changed by the power of God, being changed in this, is to learn how to su submit to God rather than repel him by my pride, my vanity, my bragging, my looking down on others. Pride is basically self-dependent. 
I won't look here this morning, but you can write it down and read it for yourself. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. Satan is described in those verses how the uh, angel has fallen and he has five different statements where he says, I will. I will be exalted. I will sit on his throne. I will have authority. I will, I will, I will. The very issue that Satan did in heaven, when God kicked him out of his heaven, was based upon his pride to say, I will be like God. First thing he offered to Eve in the garden, you want to be like God? I'll show you how you can be like God. You see, pride grabs hold of our heart. First Chronicles seven fourteen it says, Humble yourselves. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I'll hear from heaven. Psalm 34, 18, draw near. God said, I'll draw near to those that are broken heart. He also says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He also says that I will look with favor on the humble. So this morning, there are a couple things that we're challenged to do is that is up your knowledge of God. Increase it. Be a person of the word of God. Be one who said, God, I want to know you. When you open your Bible, say, Father, I want to know you. Could you reveal yourself to me? I, I know that knowing you is life eternal. Jesus said that. Knowing you, Father, is eternal life. So I want to get that, God. I want to know you. And he will help you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. Make it your desire to read it and study it. Get rid of the interferences, all the things we've talked about. But above all, it's laying down your pride. Say, God, I just lay it down. I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my marriage, my children, my very breath, everything about me, I give it to you. I can't handle it. It's not me. It's you. Bill and June in their last hours are saying, Jesus, it's been you. It's been you, 66 years of marriage, it's been you, Jesus. 86 years of life, it's been you. All the Bible studies he taught, it's all been, been, been about Jesus. His love for people, both of them, it's been about Jesus. What a great way to live. Our life is in him. Would you stand, worship team, come. If you need to do business with God, would you do it today? Don't wait till tomorrow, the next day, or next week. Do it today. If you need to repent and say, Father, I'm sorry. I've tried to run my life my way. I yield to you. If you haven't gotten to know God, as you know you should, would you say, Father, teach me to know you. Renew my desire. Renew, renew my love. Father God, we just come before you today. Say, Lord, we thank you for the mighty that you have placed upon this body here. Thank you for Bill. Thank you for his life. Lord, I thank you that he's at your throne this morning worshiping, just worshiping you. You can almost see into heaven to see it. His thoughts are not so much on earth anymore because he's there in eternal life. But thank you for that. 
We do lift up those who are suffering today, those who are crying out and said, I'm in the midst of difficult times. Father, just touch every life. So, Lord, we come to you. Have your way in us. In the mighty name, which is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. We're going to complete our service with sort of an up-tempo song that says, My life is in you. My hope is in you. I will praise you with all of my heart. That's where we have to start our days. My life is in you, Lord. And so uh, it's going to be a little faster than normal to conclude a service, but it's important you get it in your heart. Turn to somebody and say, I'm ready for this. Turn to me. I'm ready. Even if you're not, let's do it. Ready? <laughs>